Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. And once again, I've got with me a special guest. You want to set your DVR. You want to uh, definitely tune in every week to, as we unpack some things. I think it's going to be a real blessing to you. Uh, I have on the set with me Dr. Jonathan Welton, who is also the president and founder of Welton Academy, which is an online Bible college. Uh, he is the author of 12 books. Uh, but I, I've done several conferences with him in the last um, couple of years and got to know his ministry and appreciation for him and what he's doing. One of the most outstanding young men I've come across in many years, and I think you'll be blessed by his uh, book. This one especially is what we're talking about, understanding the whole Bible. And he really does a good job in a lot of areas that I, we're not covering in these segments. There's a segment in there uh, about women in ministry that's a, uh, definitely a good segment. I thought answered a lot of questions about Thank women you. in ministry. My pastor is a woman, and I say that unequivocally equivocally and unembarrassed. My sister can flat foot preach, and so she's a blessing. I would also say to you, uh, if you would uh, like to, and you've missed like last week's program, you can go to our YouTube channel, and everything that we have aired to date is archived there, and you can go back there and watch it on demand by simply putting, uh, if you just go to my website, and you'll see it there. There's a link directly to our YouTube page. There's also a direct link to our iTunes, our podcast and you can download the audio portion, listen to it in your car. Um, again, uh, it's good to have you on the program, Dr. Weldon, and uh, it's an honor to have you, and uh, we're just going to enjoy some conversations. Uh, in the last segment, we talked about uh, the covenants, the difference between the fact that everything in the Old Testament is not Old Covenant. And everything in the New Testament is not New Covenant. Just because it's in the Old Testament does not mean it's Old Covenant. There are several covenants uh, that are in the Scriptures, and we're going to talk about some of these different types of covenant. One of the things that um, I learned from uh, uh, Dr. Weldon's books is the names of these covenants and how they worked, and it was, it was really a blessing to me. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have him on, but there are at least five different covenants uh, that really stand out through the scriptures, and uh, knowing which covenant, you know, is important. You know, if I, I said things recently, uh, someplace I was preaching, Dr. Welton, like I said, you know, if I if if you have a car payment, and it's with your bank, that's your covenant. That's not my covenant. So I'm not obligated to make your car payment. And so I, I kind of look at that even when I'm thinking about the Mosaic covenant. That was a covenant God made with the house mm. of Israel, with the, with the, with the Jews. And uh, Romans 2 actually tells us the Gentiles which do not have the law. So yeah. that was never their covenant. Yeah. So we're, here we are. What's amazing to me is we are 2,000 years into or somewhere, you know, approximately 2,000 years into the new covenant, still making payments on a covenant that was never ours. <laughs> I'd <laughs> be like me making a car payment, you know, uh, you know, for after I've got it paid off and it's completely been uh, not abolished but fulfilled and paid off, mm. and me still making payments for two thousand years. Somebody needs to wake me up and say, "Wait a minute, guy, 
uh, wrong covenant. It's not even yours to start out with, and you're still trying to make payments on something that's already been fully uh, and completely finished in the personal work of Jesus Christ. So that's a great jump point. in there because you got a, you yeah. got a real grip on this. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you. Larry. His information will be on the screen. You can get his books and and uh, find out more about his ministry by going onto his website. Good to have you. Thank you. Good to be back. And and my goodness, that's such a great picture. It sounds exhausting, really, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you had to keep paying for the rest of your life after you paid it off. Yeah, that's yeah. very accurate. Yeah. Um, we were we were talking in our, our last episode about five major covenants that most people divide the Bible into Old Testament, New Testament, um, which really in many ways is an arbitrary line that we added through church history. Mm-hmm. I mean, we added chapters, we added verses, we added all these things that are meant to help us, but they don't always help us. Even the chapters and verses. Uh, for example, um, we have uh, Romans 8, 1, therefore now there's no condemnation. Well, wonderful verse. But I've, I've written a lot of books. I've never started a chapter with, in conclusion, uh, that, that's, that's a problem. You don't start a chapter like that. Yeah. And when we divide up letters into chapters and verses, we have chaos. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same thing happens if we just try to neatly divide Old Testament as Old Covenant, New Testament as New Covenant. That's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And you end up with all the, the issues we have now. Um, even as you said, over the last 2,000 years, we're still trying to work out some of these problems. Uh, last week we talked briefly about the concept of uh, covenant theology, which really was a concept created in the 1200s by Thomas Aquinas when he wrote his Summa Theologica, which is the sum of all theology. Now there's a book title for you, right? I thought, I thought understanding the whole Bible was an ambitious title, but <laughs> the sum of all theology. So he creates in the 1200s, he creates covenant theology, and, uh, and the dispensational theology doesn't come along until uh, John Darby in the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. So these two new understandings of Scripture that most of us have grown up in or influenced by without realizing it uh, actually are kind of new versus the first 1,200 years of Christianity that didn't have these filters of of thinking. So what did they see before these systems were created? That's kind of what I I left us off with last week. Uh, and really, the Bible is not neatly divided between Old Testament and New Testament, but it's actually, I'll ask this, I'll put it this way. So a lot of us have tried to summarize the Bible. I have my Bible here. Um, people think of it as, uh, there's a few things. Some say it's God's law book. Now, it does include laws, so that's, that is partially true, but it's not all laws. We have music, we have poetry, we have uh, proverbs, we have very different things, letters and gospels, eyewitness testimonies, uh, genealogies. So it's not just law. Other people say it's God's love letter. Now that's, that's the one I grew up saying and, and hearing and, and it's probably familiar for many of us. Uh, it's God's love letter. 
uh, a friend challenged me, and I, I still think it's hilarious to this day. If if somebody sent me a love letter that said I couldn't eat bacon, <laughs> I'd send it back. <laughs> so it's not just the love letter that you know there'd be too many weird things for this to be a very good love letter. Yeah. Um, but there is stuff, song of songs, and and yeah. things in there that are that fit that tone. There's also the cliches. We have the Christian cliches like uh, B-I-B-L-E, uh, the acronym that it's basic instructions before leaving earth. Yeah, there's instruction in there as well. Um, but what I finally came down to in, in looking at this from a high level is that this is the written record of God's covenant journey yes, with sir. mankind. Yes. And I'll say it again for, the, for those watching. This is the written record of God's covenant journey with mankind. Yep. And so his covenants, although the Bible contains about 45 covenants because you read through Chronicles and Samuel and the Kings and, and you see these different covenants between people like David and Jonathan, um, and yet the actual larger covenants are between God and individuals. And those covenants, uh, as we said in our last episode, the major ones are really between God and Noah, God and Abraham, uh, God and Moses, God and David, and God and Jesus the Son. So those are the five main ones that actually make up Scripture. It's interesting because each one of these has sort of a section that surrounds it. Mm -hmm. So each covenant, if you were to think of it like the covenant is in a circle, there's a circle that goes around it, and it's called a canon. Mm -hmm. Now, as believers, we may have heard of the canon of Scripture. Mm -hmm. We think 66 books. Well, actually, ancient covenants between kings had a, a canon of literature that went with it. So let's say King Hiles and, and King Welton came together, and we're going we're gonna to make covenant together. We would, we would make our covenant, and then we would begin to record our journey uh, of a covenant together. So I'd go back to my people, you'd go back to your people, and uh, we'd record what were the popular songs of the day, who were the well-known people, uh, we'd write down the history, uh, battles, uh, uh, genealogies, um, all of that, poetry, artwork, all of that would be gathered as a record that goes with our covenant together. Mm -hmm. That's really what we find in Scripture. And so if you want to understand the story of Noah, you can't start in Genesis 6 where they're going to get into a flood. You have to back the story all the way up to Genesis 1-1. Now you know who the covenant partner is. In the beginning, God. Mm -hmm. Now you have the other partner of the covenant. You can't start with Noah. You have to start with God. Yeah. And then you go through the story and the man's fall and it gets worse and worse. And now humanity is grieving the heart of God. And then there's a righteous man named Noah and his family. And he makes a deal with him. He says, look, I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Then they go through the ark, they go through the flood, they go through everything, and he makes the covenant afterward in Genesis chapter 9. So the story of God's covenant with Noah is really at the core, God's covenant with Noah. But to understand the story, you need the canon. Mm -hmm. The canon that surrounds Noah's covenant starts in Genesis 1 and goes to Genesis 11. So that's the literature that goes around Noah's covenant. 
So that would be the first piece. Mm -hmm. The second piece, you get Abraham, and you jump into Genesis chapter 12, and there was a man named Abram, Abram who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. And so then begins a new story and begins uh, the story that goes with Abraham's covenant. And so his covenant is surrounded by Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis 50. Then you move to the Moses covenant. But you can't go straight to Mount Sinai and making the old covenant. Mm -hmm. You got to back the story up. You got to start in Egypt. Everybody's enslaved. There's a Moses who's, who's killed a Philistine taskmaster or uh, uh, Egyptian taskmaster mm -hmm. and has now fled and he's living on the backside of the wilderness. So you actually have to start there to tell the story right. So these, if we think of these as circles surrounded by certain literature, Exodus 1 begins the Mosaic canon, which goes around the Mosaic covenant, which starts 19 chapters later. Most of the Old Testament is actually about the Mosaic Covenant. Mm -hmm. um, even though it's, it's spread over many, many books, it's primarily the rest of the Old Testament from Exodus to Malachi, with some exceptions, because there is the David Covenant, mm -hmm. which comes later. Uh, the David Covenant appears in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and is kind of unique. It kind of stands apart from the rest. Uh, the New Testament is a really good picture of this because if you think of the two circles, at the core, we have the covenant that God the Father made with God the Son. That's the New Covenant. And at the core, that's the New Covenant, but it takes 27 different books mm -hmm. to actually round out the canon of literature that surrounds what happens at the cross. You got to back the story up to baby Jesus. You got to take it all the way through the early church. You got to fill it out. You got to put in some genealogies. It's got to have all these different pieces to understand. If you only recorded the covenant by itself, you wouldn't have any context. So that's why there was always a canon. Even in the old, uh, the Ten Commandments are put inside the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. But as they went forward, they would write out certain genealogies and songs. It said that they would take them in and they would lean them against the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. So they're adding material. It's not adding to the covenant. It's adding to the history of their journey with God. Mm -hmm. So rather than trying to read this book as Old Testament, New Testament, if we can actually try to read it inside of its covenant context, it would change our understanding tremendously. Mm -hmm. We mentioned last week talking about Abraham, how his covenant is so unique. Uh, you think of that story where he lies to Abimelech about his wife, Sarah. Mm -hmm. He's afraid Sarah's really beautiful. It makes him nervous. They're going to kill it. They're going to kill Abraham. He's getting nervous. He's thinking, I'm going to get murdered because I have a beautiful wife. Abimelech's going to take her. And uh, he does this twice. He did it at Abimelech's house. He did it at Pharaoh's house. Same fear, same lie, tries it again. And both times, uh, God actually, he, he strikes the house of Abimelech and he strikes the house of Pharaoh. Now, when I read that as a New Testament, New Covenant believer, I read that and I go, but Abraham lied. Abraham was a coward. 
Abimelech did nothing. He, he did, did nothing that, wrong. Yeah. He, he, we don't even know if he met, he was intending to kill Sarah, uh, him and steal Sarah. Like that was just his own brain. And you think and go, how is this, how is this right? Because we think in terms of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But righteousness, its true definition, righteousness is being faithful to the covenant that you're in. So God is in covenant with his buddy, Abraham, mm-hmm who is a coward and he's a liar. Mm-hmm. And yet that's his covenant partner. So for God to be righteous, he has to back up his covenant partner in the situation, which we define righteousness usually as a list of rules. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no list of rules when Abraham comes along. There isn't, there isn't a 10 commandments that says don't lie until yeah. hundreds of years later. So Abraham's never been told, do not lie, Mm -hmm. do not be a coward. Like those things, we inject those into the story, but they're not actually there. So this concept of reading it inside of its covenant context actually brings a lot of light to the surface Mm -hmm. because you can read the story of Abraham and be confused thinking, why on earth did God punish Abimelech and Pharaoh when, when Abraham is the one being a coward and a liar, well, Abraham was God's covenant partner, and God, to be righteous, had to be faithful to his covenant partner, even when he's being like that. And Abraham was actually even enriched by both of those. He ended up there. They sent him away with gifts, and so he's part of his riches, <laughs> and wealth is coming from that. And even, you know, while we were talking about Moses a minute ago, Moses kills this Egyptian. Yeah. But this is prior to a thou shalt not kill rule. Great you know, point. This is prior to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, what is it? I, I, I don't know the exact verse on it, but it says where there is no law, there is no transgression. Mm-hmm. For the law works wrath. And so these guys have not transgressed any of the covenant rules because the covenant, this exist. covenant does yeah. not have those rules with it. That's They're right. still on this covenant journey. A relationship and yeah. and uh, and purpose is you know God's purpose in what He said to Abraham concerning His seed, mm. you know, and the seed coming was really even what God was guarding with Abraham because if Abimelech takes her or or any of these other kings, then this is going right. to be a real monkey wrench in the covenant <laughs> journey of a promised seed. So yes. the covenant partner, which is God, you know, backs him up. Yeah. I liked what you said too. You know, in your book you talk about how that the, you know, the canon then was put in their ark. And it was interesting what you, you said that also that was not a new concept to like that, that ancient people because they all had arks and they all had temples that they right. brought their uh, ark back to. And uh, I thought that was an interesting concept where they brought yes. their canon back. So, oh, but in, yes. in, you know, of course, Moses puts it in a different kind of an ark. And, I mean, puts it in an ark, but that's yeah. not a, an unusual thing. That's just where they stored their, yes. their covenant, you know. People, I, 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 this, is, this is such an amazing, eye-opening thing. When I found it, uh, it blew my mind, the idea that Israel was not the only nation that had an Ark of the Covenant. I always think of the Ark of the Covenant like Indiana Jones, <laughs> like there's <laughs> yeah, only yeah. one yeah. on the planet. Mm-hmm. But actually it was an ancient custom. And, and nowadays we have, of course, Google, which is great. So you can type in Egyptian Ark of the Covenant or Mesopotamian or Babylonian, and you'll find images of other nations that are carrying Arks of the Covenant. Um, so the concept here, Every nation had a God, every nation had a temple, 
Every nation had arks. And so if you and I, uh, King Hiles, King Welton, we get together, we make a covenant, we would make two copies of the covenant. You'd take one back to your people. I'd take one back to my people. We'd build a box, a very ornate box. You'd put your copy in your box. I'd put my copy in my box. We'd each put it inside our temples. And this was a part of actually uh, the covenant-making ceremony. We actually, this is funny, most Christians we think in Sunday school terms of the Ten Commandments. And it might be because of Charlton Heston, it might be because of a, an old flannel graph on the wall. But when you say Ten Commandments, what do people picture? Well, we picture two stones, yeah. we picture rounded off on the top, we picture uh, Roman numerals, Think about that. Mm -hmm. Roman numerals. This is, this is <laughs> ancient is Egypt, Rome, right? Yeah. 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 So ancient Egypt, and we're picturing Roman numerals. <laughs> Commandment so. number one. Oh, it's, yeah. it's hilarious. Yeah. So we have one through five and six through ten, and he comes down carrying the stones like that. Um, and yet everything about that picture is, almost everything is wrong. Uh, actually, in Exodus 32, 15, it says they were written on both sides. Mm -hmm. So these tablets are not just facing one direction. They're actually written on both sides. In the typical covenant-making ceremony of that kind, you made two copies. So you, you'd have uh, two nations. You'd have a copy written one through five on one side, one, uh, five, six through ten on the other, and you'd take your copy back and you'd put it in your box. And I'd take my copy, one through five, six through ten, I'd take my stone back and put it in my box. And that would be actually the normal ceremony. It gets kind of weird though because now God is going to be their partner and he doesn't have a God over him and so he doesn't need to go put it in his box and keep his, his uh, peace to remind him. So Moses ends up taking both contracts. He takes both and puts them in the box. Now this is a certain type of covenant. This is another piece that we'll introduce. We'll, we'll probably share more of it in our next episode. Mm -hmm. um, but there's five major covenants which make up scripture, but they're not all equal. Mm -hmm. The five major covenants are actually three different types. So the kind of type that we're talking about here is called a kinship covenant. Mm -hmm. A kinship covenant, you take a copy, I take a copy, we take it back, we put it in our box. Why this is important is because uh, it's not the typical. It's actually the Mosaic covenant is very unique and there's, there's more to talk about there. Um, but part of what happens here is if you and I are partners in a kinship ceremony, uh, we go back, we put it in our box, we have our God, and let's say that, that your God his name is Bob, and my God, his name is Steve. So we take it back to our people, and, and the reality is, I don't know if you're gonna keep my covenant with me. I don't know if you're gonna go backstab me, betray me, I don't know what's gonna happen. And I don't believe in your God, Bob, but your people do. Mm -hmm. So you take this covenant back, you put it in the box to Bob in his temple, and if you violate the covenant, my God is not going to go after you because you don't believe in Steve. Mm -hmm. Bob's going to go after you. Yeah. Your God is going to go after you. So this is the ancient mindset 
that would say, my insurance is that your God will punish you if you are not faithful. And your insurance is that my God will punish my people if we're not faithful. So now they put God in a really awkward position mm -hmm. because it's Moses and God. And God is going to be their partner, but he's also going to be the God over them. So now he's their partner and their punisher. Yep. God never wanted to be Israel's punisher. He wanted to walk with them in a different type of covenant. And we'll share about that in the coming episode. But he had a whole different plan in mind. And the people asked for something different. And they put God in a position where now he's their partner. So whenever somebody attacks Israel, God has to back them up and say, go kill them all, go wipe them out, I got your back. And now he looks like this bloodthirsty person that he is not. And so he's now he's stuck in that kind of deal. And if they make a mistake, if they violate the law, he's also required to be their punisher. And he never wanted to be their punisher either. So what we have in the Mosaic Covenant is very unique. It's very different than the other four of the five major covenants. Mm -hmm. But we'll talk about that in more detail uh, mm -hmm. coming up. Just name the, uh, the, the, the three, I think there's three major kinds, of, and right. then we'll, we'll pick up the next segment. You, were, you don't want to miss it. All right. So, so Just the names of them. The yes, mosaic. yes. So we mentioned kinship. Mm -hmm. uh, the other two, it, one is called a grant covenant, and one is called a vassal covenant. Mm -hmm. And if you're putting them on a piece of paper like a scale, grant is the best. Yep. That's what you want. Kinship is in the middle, vassal is the worst. And we'll uh, get into that a little more, but these were common terms in the ancient world that people understood. If I said to you, oh, I, I want to give you a grant covenant, you'd know what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Might not be common for us, they might be new terms, but they were very common in the ancient world. When, he, when I read some of this in his book, talking about these different kinds of covenant, it really helped me understand why God acted certain ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, the children of Israel, God really brought them out of Egypt based on, uh, you know, the Abrahamic covenant and wanted to have personal relationship with everyone. I want to make a whole yeah. kingdom of priests out of you. And the people forfeited a personal relationship with God for a rule-based or, you know, a mediator yes. system. And, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong in the next one, but uh, the people said, you go talk to him. We're afraid of him. And whatever he says to you, we will do it. And the longer they stayed away from him, the more they misunderstood their heart. And the more you stay away from a covenant where you can have a relationship, the more rules you have to have. And that's what really began to escalate until the peoples had so misunderstood the heart of God that in Deuteronomy, I believe it is 127, it says, because the Lord our God hated us. He brought us out here to die. And I'm thinking, when mm. did you think he hated you? When he delivered you by the water, he delivered you by the blood, angels delivered your breakfast every morning, a rock followed you. At what point did you think he hated you? But the longer we stay away from a personal relationship, the longer we must understand God's heart. Mm. And I believe that one of the things that I love about the new covenant is it's God having relationship with us again, individually, not through a, uh, you know, a mediator system, but once again, a, a, a kingdom of priests that can not only receive the love of God, but export it as well and to be God's vice regents in the earth. And so what a wonderful thing to be restored to. And in the book of Galatians, he calls the law of Moses an addendum that was added 
until the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and that was the promise that God made to Abraham of a coming seed. We're out of time, and we'll come back and pick some of this back up, but this stuff about covenant, you don't want to miss. If you've got to, uh, a moment to just call the number on the screen, sow a seed into the ministry. It's what helps us to take the gospel around the world. You can also do it by going to our website, and the, you, you see the address on the screen. There is a place there where you could give donation. Uh, consider becoming a partner with us. It's your partnership uh, on a monthly basis that helps us take the gospel around the world. Don't think it's too small because it's the small gifts and that add up that help us to be able to do what we're doing. If you appreciate it and you're enjoying it, kind of get behind us and we appreciate it. God bless you. Tune in again next week. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.